Welcome to the Creative Hustle Podcast. The only podcast for creative and artistic entrepreneurs. I'm Aaron Salazar, founder of Poseidon Theater Company in New York City. Did being with someone who's so accomplished as a chef, did you find that it actually empowered you or made you feel intimidated? I'm Hassan Saeed, founder of House Urban, all-natural skin and body care for the professional performer. Those things that you think are inconsequential now, they start to serve you so much later, and it all sort of becomes a reveal. Thank you for joining us today. It's time to hustle. Welcome to the Creative Hustle Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, My name is Aaron. And I'm Hassan, and we have a very special episode today. We have our very first guest on this series podcast. Um, She's an... uh, author, an entrepreneur, a chef, a designer, a mom, and just generally awesome. Miss Marja Bajarikdin is here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Thank you for having us. We're actually sitting in Marja's apartment, which is gorgeous. Um, Thank you. So the thing that we ask all of our guests, well, we will going forward because you're our first one. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell our listeners who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Oh my gosh. Okay, who am I? And uh, let me see, who am I? Um, That's the easy one. Yeah, um, you know, I'm all of what you said above. <laughs> but first, I, I always look at myself as Chloe's mom, uh-huh. yeah. um, for sure. Um, what I do is my passion. Um, you know, being a chef, cooking, creating recipes um, is a, a way that I have been able to um, kind of... Uh, you know, learn my, my, my roots. And also it's a way of showing love. I I love to feed and entertain people at home. So Mm -hmm. for me, that's always an extension of my heart to you. Um, what was the other question? So it's who you are. We covered that, what you do. And I think you just told us why you do it because it's an extension of love and and how you show love to people. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned your roots and we're going to dive into that a little bit because your background and your story is so interesting. Mm. So you're black and Korean. I am. Um, you're also adopted. Yes. Um, so you were adopted while you still lived in Korea, correct? This is correct. And your, your, both your birth father and your adoptive father were Marines. Uh, my birth father was in the army. Okay. Mm-hmm. My father was in the Marine Corps. Got it. Oh, I see. Yeah. He was a lieutenant colonel at the time. Um, and stationed in Korea, uh, right after my mom and, um, after he and my mom got married. Um, so it was kind of like a honeymoon Asia type of trip mixed with work. So he was stationed there for two years. So you, so your formative years were spent in Korea, the first few, three or four? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think I left around four and a half, something like that. So your memories are very uh, distinct from that time period? Oh, yeah, totally. I have vivid memories. Mm. I always say that I I find the best chefs uh, are always deeply sentimental. Ah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say like a lot of what you express now as a chef comes from those memories of your youth? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. and also, you know, in addition to the emotional tie that I have to um, Korean food, I, um, you know, I really kind of love to explore all the health benefits. Yes. Yeah, it's really, really quite amazing. Fresh and, and fermented and... Yeah, I mean, my body just reacts really, really well to Korean food. Um, you know, like if I'm not feeling well, I know exactly what to eat. Yeah. And it'll just heat up my body and then I'm, I'm good, you know? And I normally don't get sick. I haven't been sick in years, actually. Oh, that's incredible. Mm, touch wood. Yeah. So culturally, so you were adopted by a black family, and then you grew up in the South. 
in Virginia? Uh, I grew up in Northern Virginia. Is like, that not considered the South? Well, I'm uh, right next to DC. DC. I feel like culturally, it's, it's, not, it's, really. it's not the South really. is the same way that DC is the South, where it's technically exactly. right, yeah. but it isn't the necessarily and, the cultural and, onslaught of exactly. being a Southerner. And exactly. May, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I I actually spent quite a bit of time in in Virginia via right out of sight of DC. Okay. I, I feel like isn't don't they basically consider that just an extension of yeah DC totally yeah without question like yeah. the way that Brooklyn is New York exactly exactly yeah yes. exactly so I bring that up because you have this connection to Korea but you're also you love soul food oh so yeah how have you been able to sort of mix the two and where did that come from I actually. I'm going to go back a little further. So I know that you were a performing artist for a long time and you went to the Duke Ellington School for Performing Arts. That was yes. your high school experience. Duke mm-hmm. Ellington School. Years, yeah. yeah. And it was, you said that, you know, you said very openly that you've had a hard time connecting culturally up until that point. And oh, that's yeah. That's where you start to sort of discover or become awakened to um, the, the black side of your family and everything that was happening there mm-hmm. or, or of your history. Um, but as a teenager, I feel like it's that's hard to do. So yeah. you have this... Um, Korean heritage, and then you're growing in D.C., and then you're in this sort of creative bubble. Mm-hmm. How did that affect you, and what do you feel like you took out of that? Because we were talking earlier about how difficult high school is, and no one makes it out Yeah, unscarred. yeah, yeah, unscarred, that's right. right. So with um, all those things going on. Well, A, I woke up like, I, I woke up. I uh, I woke, I did, actually. Yeah, you, I'm, <laughs> woke, woke. I'm woke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I uh, I grew up in um, going to predominantly white schools. Mm, I mean, I was right. really, if not the only kid with any color in my classes. Um, and, of course, I had representation of my African-American side mm-hmm. um, through my family. Right. But, I mean, it's really kind of hard to get the cultural experience without immersing myself. I mean, we'd go to a, a, a black, um, you know, uh, church in D.C. for Easter with my right. godmother and all of that. Mm. But that was basically kind of the extent of it. My grandmother lived in Southeast and, you know. Um, but when I went to Duke Ellington, our summer read was Malcolm X. Oh, and I had oh heard that of, was the assigned reading. That was the assigned hey, reading. Incredible. And I had only ever heard of him as like this radical, not necessarily a good guy. I didn't mm-hmm. really have much background on him. Um, so... We had to read the book, and then um, Spike Lee came, and... Um, wow. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So we were able to uh, really kind of, uh, yeah. Well, he really humanized, uh, I think, Malcolm X for the masses with that movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's one telling of my that, favorite movies. Oh, my God. Telling that backstory, I just... I felt like people finally saw him in a different light than exactly sort of this almost... Uh, menacing figure yes yeah. yes. And not for nothing that was the first time angela bassett was robbed of an oscar good morning class i know oh my That's god to this day one of many still times still hasn't aged uh, from that bit, movie not a good bit, lord not a anyway. yeah. <laughs> well we didn't watch malcolm x but he did come to talk to us um and then we watched um quincy jones documentary anyway i just had like this complete wave of immersion in in uh black history um i love that book so much because uh, of course, it went through, you know, his whole life with uh, the Nation of Islam and all of that. But what I loved is the the fact that he was so human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved his journey to Mecca and how he realized, you know, that this, this religion um, was not just about being black. It was it was about love and peace and people of all colors. And I just loved that human side to him. And it mm-hmm. just really, really kind of touched me. So... Um, I went from, you know, Northern Virginia 
suburbs, uh, you know, in the way that I dressed and everything. Yeah. To, I mean, I had some door knocker earrings. Yeah. Yes. I was like, trying to say do everything. <laughs> yes. I was trying to do finger waves. With feeling. You know, that Mary yes. J. Blige hairdo. Yeah. I wanted the, with the sponge and the French roll. I mean, I had little beads on my, I mean, Amazing. just really, 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 really into it. Um, so that was really a wonderful experience. I went for vocal music my first year and then I did, um, uh, literary media and like communications the second year. Oh, so they were very well rounded. <clears throat> oh yeah. That's incredible. But I auditioned in theater as well, but I wanted to try something new since mm -hmm. I already kind of did that outside of school. Um, and, uh, for my final, my second year, we had to produce an eight-minute radio show, and oh, wow. you think, "Oh, it's not that long." It's freaking long. Eight minutes, long. long time on the mic. That is hard. It is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard, especially when you're like 16 or 17 and you don't have much to talk well, about. Like you, you think you, that you do. You think you have all these thoughts, <laughs> right. but the content isn't really there yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Not really. Oh, and when I was a freshman, Dave Chappelle was a senior. Wow. Uh huh. But uh -huh. he was he was already deep inside the. The DC uh, the comedy DC, yeah. circuit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was too young to really see, but he would always MC every single event. He was always funny, super nice, and super it's always popular. Been there. Hit yeah, that. His exactly it. His the way yeah. he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So that was cool. That's so, incredible. So you had a front seat to a lot of things early on. I sure did. Like. did. Yeah. I yeah. actually, I have a question. Did you find that? I mean, for, for lack of a better word, that you got shit from other. Uh, people of color about yourself culturally? Lord, did I. Um, like because of the, just, yes. Yes. I'm yes, sure you got the, sure. well, what are you? And then, and then the, and then or, the division happened from there. Oh what, yeah, of course. What are you? And did you ever get the, and I, and I, I mean this because I remember hearing this as a young person. Uh, you think you're white? Oh yeah. You think you're all that. You think you're white, Oreo, it's all that stuff. It's such an odd thing to say to, isn't it? The, it's the, like, I'm, I'm the sorry. The roots of that are. Dumb down my proper English to right. what? Yeah, I mean, because that's not my black family. My right. family doesn't talk like that. I mean, you know, it's also the it's also a sad sort of commentary that people think that only one uh, type of race can speak a certain way. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, yeah. It, it kind of plays into that whole thing of us being a monolith, no matter who. The yes, yeah. Right. yeah, exactly. Because I used to For get sure. it from the my my fellow Mexican kids uh, mm -hmm. when we were all born in the states. They're like, right. "You think you're white." Ugh. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. I didn't even, I only ate with corn tortillas until I was like eight years old. <laughs> Not that that makes you Mexican, but like we were so like Latin. you were in it. In it. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, we don't know. Oh my I have God. A, yeah. I, have a, I have a rosary bead in my pocket. I'm so Catholic <laughs> and Mexican. But no, but so I, I found that interesting when I was researching you because I was, I thought I'm certain you, that must have happened to you. Um, it happened a bit uh, in high school. Um, and also, I didn't talk about my Korean side because that just opens up a whole right. story. Like, well, he's Korean. And, 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 you know. on the, on the fire. Mm -hmm. and I look like my family anyway. My mother's very, very fair skinned. Hassan had said that. So I was saying that to, to yeah. Aaron earlier that I, you know, I've met your mom and I've met your sister. Yeah. And I thought that they had the same makeup that you did. You're right. And because you all look so much alike. So when you told me yeah. you were adopted, I was just like, Oh, well maybe they knew her family. Like I right, didn't, right. didn't even I didn't even connect that it was a completely separate family. Right. And that, that they were just a black family. I thought they were all black and Korean. Right, right, right. No, but to to kind of maybe go back a little into the adoption, uh from what I what I read about it from one of your interviews, it was a very um a very like copacetic uh involved adoption, correct? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, Cuz you I read that you even remember like your mom picking out your dress and Yeah, I mean from my mom's 
perspective, that was all trauma. Mm-hmm. All course. trauma. Um, but from my parents' side, um, they really did it the best possible way. Right. Um, and as gently and as, as uh, um, they supported me as much as I needed, you know. I mean, I even had like a, a Korean nanny for a year. Oh, so wow. that because I spoke Korean, right. I only spoke Korean oh. actually up until the age of three. You just had a lot of foresight. Yeah, well, I I learned English in three months, um, but uh, well, you were submerged. Yeah. 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 Um, but that was you know I mean I looked like a UNICEF kid when my parents saw me. Oh wow! Me. Mm, I had like you know sores on my head. There's 75 kids in this orphanage, and we were all mixed. A lot of black and Korean. I mean. Korea is very homogenous anyway. Mm-hmm. They were extremely back then. Right. And to be mixed, especially with black, you they called, they referred to um, mixed kids um, dust in the streets. That's it, It's a oh, Korean name, but it's called Miss dust Saigon. in the Saigon. Oh. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's a whole song about dust in the streets. And, ah. they, yeah. and is that all a product of military? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, for 100%. sure. 100%. Okay. So uh, my biological father is one of those awesome guys, you know, yeah. get my mom yep. knocked up and then mm. leave her at seven months yeah. pregnant. Um, so he never saw me. Um, and then my mom tried her best. She really, really tried her best. But, you know, 19, unwed, um, no education to speak of. Limited resources. Limited, limited. I mean, I remember she would give me sugar water because she couldn't afford milk because mm-hmm. it would... Um, you know, stave off any hunger. And I grew up like it's the weirdest thing. My mom used to see me. I would be making sugar water to <laughs> eat, I mean, wow. to drink. And my mom would be like, what, what are you, are you doing? doing? I don't know why, but I just liked it. But my when I met my birth mother later, she told me. So that story is interesting, too. So <clears throat> you went off to college. Um, I went to Fisk. You went to Fisk. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And you started the search for your birth mother. Yeah. And you went through a whole formal process. You contacted the Korean embassy. Mm-hmm. You had all the mm-hmm. documents. Right. Only to find out that she was living in Brooklyn. Yep. What was that like? That's Three months boy. later. So, yeah. So I, I had called in November. I got a call in February. Um, they had left me a message. I called these nuns back in Korea who I had contacted at this agency. Um, they said, we found your birth mother. She's in New York. They said, I, we just want to prepare you. You know, we don't know the circumstances mm-hmm. of her life now. She could be remarried. Maybe she doesn't talk about you. I don't know. But just brace yourself, pretty much. Um, so uh, I had that phone number in my hand for a good three hours. Mm-hmm. I was like, I am opening a Pandora's box. I've been waiting and wondering with all these vivid memories. Which is very, I feel like that's unique. Yeah. That you had such vivid memories. But also, yeah. you, didn't you say that you, you remember your mom, your biological mom, yes. physically being there, but you couldn't make out her face because you exactly. were so young? I would always remember her presence, and I would always remember her physically from a three-year-old height perspective. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I think I had, I had a couple pictures of her, um, but I haven't, I, my parents had that, and I didn't... Um, you know, I didn't, uh, you didn't push it. No, no, no. Um, but I, I finally got up the nerve to call. It was like late. It was like Mm -hmm. 11 at night. And, um, I called and this, this, uh, American sounding guy picks up the phone and he sounds really irritated. Like I'm like a, you know, 
So I just started speaking really fast, and I'm like, hi, my name is Marja Allen, formerly known as Brenda Bay. Is there a Korean woman in your house? <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah, like that. Yes. Let me speak to the Korean lady. Like, what's the, what is the template for that conversation? I'm like, because he sounded like he had absolutely no patience. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, it, the line went really quiet. All of a sudden, I hear like this thumping. And he's like, Ansuke, Ansuke, your daughter's on the phone. He knew. Yeah, he knew. I was Unbelievable. Like, wow. So anyway, she picked up the phone, this husky, husky voice. She was like, Brenda? And then I hear this womp. She just fainted. So I didn't talk to her that first time. She, li- <laughs> so um, she got out of Brenda and then just fell out. Yep, fell out. That's a movie. Yeah, so I ended up talking to my cousin um, that whole time. And then I talked to her basically pretty much every day. Well, she would listen. I think she didn't know what to say to me. Um, was there the instant so bond just, of family? Sorry. Um, and that's like that familiarity that you can't... Kind of. I, I bonded with my, with my cousin, cousin, with cousin yeah. who was through marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we decided not to send pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to see each other and just really see. So anyway, a month later, I went to visit her in New York. Um, it was LaGuardia Airport. And at that time, you could really come kind of quite far in yeah. the airport. <laughs> right. Um, so there was like a sea of people waiting for people to get off the plane. Anyway, lots of Asians there. I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> um, all of us. <laughs> I was like, damn, because, you know, at that point, everybody looked the same right, to me. Like, oh, are man. you my mother? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You can't make it up. Yeah, Lord. Oh, you can't make it up. So all of a sudden, I see this little face pop out from behind someone. And it was really like a movie zooming in super fast. Bing, and it was her face. I knew like her face. looking at your own face? Yeah. Mm. Unbelievable. So then she ran to me, and she just hugged me so hard. I, I had bruises, and uh, she didn't know what to say. She's just crying in my shoulder and just hugging me so tight. And this is a stranger to me. Yeah. Yes. 17 years. Like, mm-hmm. it's really a stranger. Um, so the whole way, she's, you know, staring at me in the cab. I'm like, this is really... <laughs> Really awkward. Right. Okay. Um, you open the box. <laughs> exactly. Um, so she had actually drawn a bath for me, which I was like, oh, that's nice, because she had a nice clawed um, bathtub in Brooklyn. Um, she lived above a fish market. So can just for context. Yeah, yeah. Um, because many of our of our listeners may not be as versed yeah, as yeah. I am in Korean beauty and uh-huh. rituals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Korean baths are huge tradition. Yep. Um, and it's it's something where that it's a communal experience in, exactly. in Korea anyway. So this is a real sort of bonding activity and moment for her. Exactly. To this is a moment of yes. affection. For sure. I mean, Korean care. families are very, you know, when it comes to bathing and things like that, I mean, you know, your family's always, especially your mom, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so she'd drawn a bath for me and then she was sitting on the floor. And I'm like, Okay, I'm gonna take a bath now. She's like, okay, okay. She's still sitting there. I'm like, she was like, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna wash your hair. She said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot. It's not like an American custom. I was like, okay, well, let me just get in and then I'll, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, she washed my hair. Like she insisted on doing something to me, and this is all in like two hours <laughs> of meeting her. Wow. So she told me later she was checking for my birthmarks just to make sure because she was so shocked. She wanted to well, make sure it was you. Yes. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I have a big one on my leg and one on my ankle. She was like, I just had to, I had to know. Wow. So, wow. yeah. And then um, she'd cooked. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. How, 
do you recall like was it during that bath that you started to thaw a little bit into feeling comfortable with at least, really comfortable, like, at least comfortable you're vulnerable, in the circumstance? You're naked, you're in the yeah, bath, you want to wash my hair. Like, what, like um, at, what, at what point did I you wouldn't... start to feel like a sense of, okay, like breathing into the circumstance um, or the situation? Maybe, the, maybe the, the, the next day when we had a full day, mm-hmm. you know, to go. She took me to the promenade in Brooklyn um, in Prospect Heights and... Uh, no, I would not say the thaw happened. I was accommodating her. Right. I was allowing her to do everything she kind of needed to do and say or be with me because I could feel her. You know, she. Yeah. I just, it was very visceral. Foreign, well, that, but but yeah. innate, you know? Yeah. yeah, but that was great that you came at it with such empathy. Right. So gracious. Very I mean, gracious. That's yes. due to my parents. I mean, yeah. my mother always told me that, uh, you know, your birth mother loved you so much. She did the absolute best and selfless thing she could do as a mom was to give you up to have a better life. Yeah. You know? Wow. So. And do, do you remember that meal? I do. Right. Well, what this was is, that meal like? Yes. Well, this meal sparked my um, obsession with Korean food. There we go. Um, so from the very first bite, I had bulgogi. And I remember that Which taste. Which is my favorite. I know. Well, I remember that taste right away. And then she gave me um, this kimchi. It's called chunga kimchi. It's um it's translated to bachelor kimchi. Mm. I don't know why, but <laughs> back in the I day, love cheaper. That. <laughs> like, I love no. that. Like was it made with the random things? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. It's it's just the way the uh, this particular radish is small and it's got a long top, and that used to be the hairstyle of bachelors back in the day. This long kind of ponytail. Oh, that's oh. very whimsical. Oh, okay. I so love that. anyway, um, but she put it on a stick and. Uh, I remember eating it. As I took a bite, I remembered eating it off of a chopstick. It was like weird. Yeah. It, it was mm-hmm. so crazy. So every bite was eating more of my my past in a way and connecting with it. Yes. Um, that's how my mom and I bonded. She would, and I, that's how I learned the language too, um, through the food. So she'd make seaweed soup and she'd say, this is called miok. You bite in a thing like this. And gook mm-hmm. means soup. So, and she taught me how to do different recipes. And I just, it, it was really the only thing that really allowed me to know or feel that I was really part of this culture through the food, funnily enough. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And even when I go back now, there are certain smells. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I know that smell. Yes. It's so weird. It, it brings back a visceral memory. Yeah. So the, yeah, the scent of things. Absolutely. Totally. So Absolutely. you were still very much a young woman when you had this experience and reconnecting yeah. with your mom. So you said you were 17, 18? No, no, we were we were apart 17 years. I met her um, three days before my 20th okay. birthday. Oh, no, that was March ex- then. Yeah. That's March, yeah. That's a good, oh, you're Pisces. Yep. Yes. Ides of March. Ding, ding, ding. Pisces. <laughs> hey, you better stop it. You know those Pisces, Pisces men are correct, right? We're, 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 they're not. We're, we're, hey, how dare you? They're not. Um, <laughs> no, our, the women are fierce. Yeah. I love Pisces. Anyway. Pisces yeah, you know, we're, we're very sentimental. Um. <laughs> so, I, I, so I wanted to kind of segue into, you had this transformative experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems it, like it really put a foundation on... Changed my life. I went back. I went back to Nashville. I said, "I'm moving to New York." I dropped out of school, much to my parents' chagrin. Um, Yeah, I did a semester there. So you dropped out of out of school to move to New York to do what? 
to be with my mom. Yeah. I needed to do it. Yeah. I, I just needed, I needed it. I don't know. I couldn't explain it. It felt right. How did your parents take that? I didn't talk to my parents for a couple of years. Actually, we were estranged. A, they're pissed off about the whole school thing and... You know, they had gone through so much trouble to to make sure that I had all this information, and yeah. I think they were quite hurt that right. I did not include them. Yes. Um. And I know my parents would have had me with, you know, done all the right things, had me with, you know, therapists to talk to, um, be there every step of the way. But I just needed to experience this, however I was going to experience it, without it being I, colored by. Yeah, yeah, or being covered, colored with my guilt, maybe, of, yeah. you know, worrying about my parents. Do they feel like I felt like they weren't adequate? No, I just, I need to know this woman who I have memories of. Where do I get my elbows? Where do I, you know, who laughs like me? Yeah. Yes. You know? And I just needed to go. It felt right here. I think it's some of those things that we all, those of us who are still have connection with our birth families mm-hmm. and weren't adopted, mm-hmm. sort of take for granted. Totally. I mean, you know, growing up African-American, um, we don't have much of a tradition written history history yeah Mm -hmm. you know so to speak that we can fall back on um and even though my my mother is really good she like does genealogy on the side as well um she had lots she do (laughs) i know what doesn't she do she's my momager you know amazing um so anyway i um yeah so she had all this history of you know, her ancestors, I, but I, I knew they weren't mine, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm part of the family, but it's not my blood there, you know? And then I meet my Korean family, and we can trace our family back 1,600 years. Mm. Yes. Yeah, because my, my ancestors are really famous general, um, and there's actually a statue, and we all have the same nose. It's kind of freaky. That's wow. incredible. Looks like our family. It's weird. So but. you moved to New York yep. to be with your birth mom. Yep. And so you're working all that out. And what's happening for you career-wise? Nada. <laughs> so what's happening um, Did you have back like a little side days, Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And worked, what did you want to be doing? I wanted to... Well, I wanted to act. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the money for all the headshots and running back and forth. So I, I got a job at uh, the vitamin shop. Oh. I said, you know what? I'm going to work at the vitamin shop, but I'm going to be where I want to be. Yeah. I want to live in... This area. So I picked 59th Street right across from Bloomingdale's. Yeah. Yes. Like, I love yes. it here. I'm going to live right oh. here. Yeah, I'm going to live right here off of um, Lexington. And third? Or is it? No, no. Lexington. Was that on Lexington? Yeah, right there where that. Lexington that, prop. Yeah. Right yeah. There. Where Diesel is right now. Oh, it's yeah. Like across the street. Walk, uh-huh. Was it the walk-up building that's directly across the street? Yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. Sure did. So I was like, I have to imagine where I want to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I worked there for a while. Then funnily enough, I met somebody who who um, I hated that job, retail. Um, I met somebody who who offered me a job on Wall Street. He was like, oh. you can be a cold caller. I was like, okay, what is that? Anyway, long story short, it's like a telemarketer. Yeah. So you, they have these hire people to call um, like stacks and stacks of index cards full mm-hmm. of small businesses all around the country so we can send out prospectus on new stocks. I see. Anyway, so I did that for like two weeks. I was so over it. <laughs> So I would hurry up and finish my, my calls and all of that. And then I went to Human Resources. There's a woman there, Lori. And I said, you need any help with anything? Just because I couldn't stand it. And soon enough, I became her assistant. And then I learned the ropes some more. And then I became a sales assistant. So I used to make 1% commission off of 12 brokers. Oh. But then I found out I was like a chop shop. 
of a house. And I think all of the uh, founding members of that agency are in federal prison now. Wait, can what? you explain to <laughs> yeah. people who don't know, like unpack the, what that chop shop terminology means? So basically a chop shop is, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's all a scam, you know? I mean, these, um, these uh, brokers sell you crappy stocks. They mm-hmm. sell it, you know, they sell it up on the phone and buy these shares and all that. And basically they just, you know, sell people whatever to make their commission and that's it. And then they lose all their, <laughs> you know, all their, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, complete crap. And I remember um, I was going to move up to be one of the, one of the, uh, I guess, one of the partner's assistants because they liked pretty women. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the head assistants there, the top sales girl, she'd be walking in in a mink. She had, you know, BMW. I was like, damn, she's Living making up. money. Yeah. So she took me in the back and she was showing me how to... Um, copy well, basically forge a signature on a form so she was like you cut it out and then you pay i was like i can't oh. I, I said oh no i said oh no i can't do this so i went to the one person i felt like i could trust mm-hmm. and his name was rick digilio he was a compliance officer and we we're best friends to this day i love so that. he was like don't do it he actually quit and then i walked out with him uh, I went wherever <laughs> Rick went. Yeah. Um, it's like, where are we going, Rick? Yeah, exactly. We, we quit. What's next? Yeah, exactly. So I quit, got out of there. Thank God. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Insane. So then I was like, you know what? This is not for me. Um, I don't want to get my license. I don't want to be in trading or anything like that. It's just a soulless business. But you probably, it seems to me that you really learned that you had the hustle in you. But you, you I had, really you, didn't the, have the hustle. No, no. no. I mean, I mean, I had the hustle in terms of being positive. Well, you see, you're industrial. Industrial. very industrious. Yeah, I never sat on my ass. I mean, yes. I, I've I've been working since I was 14. Yeah, yes. always had a summer job. Babysat every weekend. Like you, really responsible. I feel like that needs to be talked about because I feel like everyone I know who has made their way up and up started that 14, 15 year old summer job. Mm-hmm. There's something oh, yeah. about that base of that work ethic. That really teaches you something. Those are things mm-hmm. that stay with you. My first job is at the Sanrio store in the mall, and we all know how I feel about Hello Kitty. So I mean, Ooh. yes, my yeah, <laughs> my first one was actually a a, a a summer musical thing. But then my mom told me that I needed to learn some reality, and I worked at McDonald's. Oh my! But God. like just the juxtaposition of those gigs, though, of like having the half of that work ethic, it's incredible how that shapes everything. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. It, and, I mean, my first job was I was a um, miniature golf. Club attendant. Yes. Did they <laughs> have a water slide? Yes. No, oh. it was at this private club, and I would sit out there sweltering in the heat in this, you know, in this little kind of shack oh, kind yeah, of shed little, thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Lean twos, basically. Sit there freaking sweating my ass off, and <laughs> bees coming in, and, you know, whatever. I'd hand, hand out the clubs. But, uh, and then oh, the next year, I worked at the snack bar, so I love that. Of course. Got to cook frozen patties. So great. <laughs> Like, I'm chefing it up. Yes. Yes. Foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. So you left finance. I left finance. I said, um, you know what? I need to go back to acting. I mean, I'm in New York for Christ's sake. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to get... No. Actually, when I left that that job on Wall Street, I had met the friend of one of my coworkers who I started dating. He was a chef. Mm. So he, he worked at this place called John George. I'm like, I have no freaking clue what that is. He was like, it's really high end. I said, okay, great. I said, well, I need a, I, I said, I need a, a restaurant job, I think, you know, hostessing mm-hmm. or something, because I need the hours 
Um, I need flexible hours, but I want to be in a place where Steven Spielberg is going to come in, yeah. you know, yes. so I'll be noticed at the front. Yes. So, um, I went and started working there. We broke up cause he was crazy. Um, my ex, it's very, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he had a bad Coke problem, which I did not know at the time. Super naive. That'll do it. That'll yeah. Do it. So, um, anyway, I started there and all of a sudden the chef keeps, I started in reservations the chef is coming by all the time. How are you doing? You know, always giving me a smile. Um, you know, after a couple of weeks, he insisted they move me upstairs because oh. he wanted me at the front. Yeah. It's okay. Well, he was dating somebody. I was dating Malik Yoba at the time. Were mm. you? I mean, you know, casually. Ca- Malik was casual. a player back then. Unless, yes, he was. Because he was on uh, New York Undercover. Undercover. Right. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, anyway, so I would, I would date him. I remember... I took him to see my mom in Brooklyn. She about fell out. Um, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the thing that you glossed over, though, this chef was Jean George. Oh, yes. So this chef that was um, checking on his new employee in reservations was uh, JG, and um, who became my future husband. <laughs> but um, anyway, I was there for months. Um, and working. did you really learn the insides and outs, the in and outs of hospitality? Um, I guess as much as I could learn from a hostess perspective, you know, um, because we, well, I became really good friends with, uh, the Senegalese guy there and he's still dating this girl, but he was like, yo, he was like, Marja, he was like, you need to, the boss is really liking you. I'm like, I am not anybody's side piece. He's got a girlfriend. (laughs) He got the wrong one. Right. He's 20 years older than me. Like, what am I going to do with that? He's like, no, he's really a nice guy. And they're like, finished. I'm like, I've heard that before. And I am not about to be the side bitch. Right. You know? Exactly. Standing at the host Hello. Stand. Hello. Right. I don't think I so. said, I'm not pressed. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, um, you know, a couple months later, still always super, super, super nice to me. Always coming by the hostess stand and this and that. Um, he had numerous fights with this ex-girlfriend. I mean, like numerous, she'd be. Oh, publicly? Yeah. She would go run in the bathroom. He hates confrontation. He would go run in the bathroom. She'd be kicking the door and screaming in the restaurant. I'm like, this is insanity. And also, he's the nicest guy. Yes. I said, he's such a nice guy. What the hell? So, anyway, one day I saw her uh, actually um, going to meet Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. We're staying at the hotel. I said, oh, okay, Mm. this is done. I was like, well, I was like, you know, I'm kind of ready for a nice guy because, you know, the guys I'd been dating either, whatever, whatever. I was over it. I said, I'd like somebody nice, sensible, you know, a nice guy. Let me just go out with him once. So we did. Um, And uh, the rest is history after that, I guess. You know, we found out we have the, uh, his birthday is on the 16th of March, mine is the 15th. We're very similar in a lot of ways. When is your birthday, Aaron? March 11th. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Pisces are good. Um, but stop giving me that look, Hassan. I will hear you. <laughs> I will end your life in Pisces front. and Scorpio, I avoid them like the plague. Stop it. Pisces and Scorpio are like really good friends. Yeah, exactly. My See, best friend is Scorpio. You can't avoid me, child. <laughs> I know you. Um, yeah, so the, the rest is history. Um, Does he share a similar sentiment about food? That you do? That, does he have that sentimentality? You know, um, yes. Yes, because very I, much so. Yeah. His mom is an amazing cook. Um, 
And his, his family had, they were in the electricity business. Before that, they were from, um, they were Dutch. Mm-hmm. There's a canal that runs behind, well, all the way. And one winter, they got stuck there. They were transporting coal at the time. Interesting. So his great-grandfather just kind of cleared the land and made a house there. And then they went um, from coal to oil to, you know, whatever, natural progression through the years. I, I also kind of, again... Because I don't want to make any assumptions. Yeah. Um, Jean George is best known for which restaurants? Oh gosh. Um, well, I mean, his, well, when I met him, yeah. he had four restaurants. So the now machine was already oiled. It, it was getting there, but now yeah. it's already because he had opened in '98 at at the Trump. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. In '98, we met in '99. I had Chloe in 2000. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, because yeah. I moved here in '99, and we. I've never not known a world without his name and being right in the yeah. pinnacle in, of dining. In, yeah, exactly. Well, at that time he had Jojo, Jean George, um, Vong. Yes. Vong Thai Kitchen. It used to be on Third Avenue and like fifty mm. something street. Um, and then he had just opened Mercer. Yeah. Yeah, Mercer. Yeah. Yes. But now he's at almost sixty. He's opening uh ten restaurants this year. Incredible. Wow. Um so you went on this date. It went well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did. Um, so then you, fast forward, you're married, you have a baby. Um, how did you kind of find that you were a cook or that you loved it? Because I know you said that you're a home cook. Um, how, what did that pass sort of look like? Or should we get back that, Actually, get back to that for a commercial, after a commercial? Yeah, so break, I think right? well, we, we should explore that. And then I, what I'm curious too, let's keep bombarding you with questions, yeah. um, <laughs> is did being with someone who's so accomplished as a chef, did you find that it actually empowered you or made you feel intimidated? That's something to think about. Yeah. All right. Give that, give that some time. And uh, with that, we will be right back. The Creative Hustle Podcast is brought to you today by House Urban, all natural skin and body care for the professional performer. Now, the House Urban brand is known for its use of natural ingredients, clean formulations, and handcrafted small batches. Paired with stylish packaging and show-stopping fragrances, it's developed a cult following amongst Broadway performers and pro makeup artists. The products are designed to align body and spirit in order to advance one's career, not hold it back. And we have a very special gift for you Creative Hustle listeners. If you visit www.houseurban.com and enter the code CREATIVEHUSTLE, you'll get 20% off your first order. So listen, you're going to feel really good, your face is going to look great, and you're going to book that gig. And I'm pretty sure you'll be a house bunny after that. Houseurban.com. We have all of your needs. Look like art. Smell like love. The Creative Hustle Podcast is brought to you by Poseidon Theatre Company's production of The Cooping Theory, Who Killed Edgar Allan Poe, an intimate, multi-sensory, immersive ghost story located in a 150-year-old speakeasy in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Creative Hustle Podcast listeners can save on tickets with code CREATIVE. Get yours today. And we're back yes. with our very special guest, entrepreneur, chef Marja von Drichten. And we were talking about her trajectory into food. So um, she had a whirlwind romance with a world-famous chef, um, had a beautiful baby, mm-hmm. and then what happens? And then what happens? Gosh. I mean, in terms of well, your, your career in terms and like of, yeah. you, you, you be discovering the chef within you. Okay. Well, 
I have been cooking since I was 12. Yeah. There we go. Uh, my mom was always very encouraging. I started with Jiffy Mix. Yep. You know, I do blueberry yes, muffins yes. with a little blueberry pellets. Yes. <laughs> you can make coffee cake with it. Exactly. Oh, oh my so God. Don't good. throw some canned pineapple it's in there. You're doing dry it. Blueberries. Oh, <laughs> oh, it tastes like my youth. Oh, my God. It <laughs> tastes like my youth, too. <laughs> Um, so, you know, she'd always encourage me, even though I made dry, salty eggs, she would always encourage me to try mm. it for dinner or whatever. Anyway, um, at 13, I, I cooked Thanksgiving for nine people oh. by myself. I loved it. Like, it was my sanctity. It was, I loved being in the kitchen. My dad had this awesome recipe box. He's a great um, cook as well. Mm-hmm. He's in the Marine Corps, so he wasn't able to cook a lot, but... You know, like we would always have a Memorial Day and Labor Day barbecues at our house, and he would like throw down. So I was yes. always fascinated. I still make his cheesecake to this day, which Incredible. is pretty cool. Um, the whole chef thing, I, I wanted to go to, um, I wanted a catering company. Okay. Uh, I wanted to either have a catering company or work uh, with the Peace Corps, and my mom was like, you better take your ass to school, And this which was I did. This at- was before college. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, fast forward, I'm with, uh, JG, Chloe's 10. Um, I had an opportunity to do, I was offered, uh, the host, the job of host of a PBS series. So let's talk about that story. That's how the whole chef thing came about. Because you had a series called the Kimchi Chronicles and a book of the same name that was on PBS. Right. So... I'm asking, I already know how the story ends. I'm asking for our listeners, how did this happen? Did you concept this? Was it, did it fall on your lap? And how so? If it did, walk us through that that process. How, yeah. how were you approached to do the show if you weren't a personality before? And what were we going to And And did, did I'm going to use your, uh, did JG, uh, Feel so personal, like we had just had no, brunch. No, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh, I didn't even get a mimosa. I know. Uh, and did did you find that being with him to to kind of circle back to that in, empowered you, and that he was encouraging about your abilities as a chef? Well, um, or was it intimidating? No, hell no, it wasn't intimidating. There I used go. to cook all the time. I mean, I, I would stick to what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, he has favorites, or he's had favorites all his, uh, you know, the whole time we've been together. Um, and my philosophy was, I know you're a four-star chef and all of that. I said, you know, but if you don't like my food, don't eat it, and don't you dare say anything about it. There we go. There you don't go. you dare. Okay. So, no, I, I, you know, it's good. It, it's funny, though, when I really started to do more of the chef thing it was like you know it was like uh iron chef in the kitchen right oh, you know we were both so competitive i'm like what yes. the hell yeah i was like you looking know? over yes. your shoulder and like, why'd you slice that constantly that you know or trying to take a recipe of mine and then he'll you know korean food is low and slow he'll put it in a pressure cooker and then it's like i'm like what did you do to my chicken it's terrible is he precise so no korean food you don't measure a lot you just no, you, you don't do, measure you, a you, lot you season no. for flavor so is that similar to his style what is he when he cooks at home um no he cooks you know i mean it's just basically he gets such good ingredients and this is what he taught me yes about ingredients seasonality when you have the best of ingredients you don't need to do all those you know, you don't fancy. Manipulate. No, yeah. you you let the the taste and the beauty of it speak for itself. So all you really need is salt and pepper. There it goes. Honestly, I love that. It's you have really solid ingredients. Yeah, all you need is salt and pepper. Yeah, amazing. Exactly. And you hear it so much on the cooking shows where you know these these people make these dishes and they're just yeah. like, oh, I just needed salt and pepper. Oh, 
Lord, why are you messing up those blueberries in a stupid sauce? Right. And a reduction. Uh, you know, get out of here. So I'm going to go back to the Kimchi Chronicles. Yeah. This is, this yes. is a, a breakthrough for you. Mm-hmm. So how did that job come about? So I was having lunch um, with Hugh and Deb Jackman, who are our neighbors and friends. Um, we actually bonded because uh, they lived in our building, but also they have two adopted children and I'm adopted. So mm. we really kind oh, of nice. bonded talking about that. And also for them from the other perspective as the adoptee, you know. Right. So anyway, we're super close and we would always have, um, you know, meals with the kids because our their son and our daughter is the same age. Um, so I'm having lunch with them. Uh, the director and producer who ended up doing the show uh, with me were having a meeting with a Korean media outlet they had an idea uh, to do a show on Korea. Mm-hmm. The producer, Eric Ree, he's Korean. Um, so initially, I think they were going to go more of a chef route, kind of do it through the food, mm-hmm. but, you know, through a chef's eyes. Um, so JG was talking to them. He said, hey, what are you doing? Uh, are you working on any new shows, Charlie? Because he did um, Gwyneth Paltrow, Mario Batali. Oh, yeah, when they went through Italy. On the road. Yeah, yeah. On Spain the road. on the road again. Spain, Spain, yes. <clears throat> So uh, he was like, yeah, actually, we're talking to this guy about doing the show on Korea. He's like, Korea? My wife's half Korean. She's here. They're like, really? Bring her over. So go over. I meet them. Um, Eric Ree, the Korean guy, he's like, so did you go in Korea? Blah, blah, blah. I give him like a two-minute synopsis of my life. They're fascinated. Um, and then they called me the next day and asked me if I wanted to host a show. Just so then wow. it, Ipso facto. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Totally. Wow. So then obviously the concept changed. Yeah, totally. So I'm a producer on the show as well. Um, and that seems to me that that was the perfect marriage of uh, all yeah. of your training. Yeah, and for you to tell all your story. All of my life. All yeah. your life. All of my Everything. life, including so we were saying on a, on, on a previous episode, Yeah, um, I think maybe episode one or two, we were talking about how you don't realize it, particularly when you're young, but everything that you do preps everything. you for where you're headed and where you're supposed to be. So true. Those things that you think are inconsequential now, they start to serve you so much later, and right. it all sort of becomes revealed. Right, So you so had true. this whole journey of discovering your mom and reconnecting through the food and the flavors right. and um, all of these things. You you leaving college and go to New York where you met your husband right. to this and being huge moment. Inside yeah. the belly of the beast yeah. of, of fine dining. I'm telling you. I mean, for the good Lord. I know. <laughs> I mean, if, listener, if you're listening to this right now and you don't know who Jean-Georges is, Google. Yeah. And you you, no, but it's, it's so incredible to me. Did it... Did this did, when you were offered it? Did, were you just like, and this is the coziest sweater ever? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was like not work. Yes, you know, and it was like a it was like an expense paid vacation for me. So in terms of production, <clears throat> I've heard that the Korean government was involved, and they were they a were. little skittish about it. Tell me more um, about that. Well, okay, so you know, my director and producer had gone to them with, of course, their resume and of the shows they had done. They Koreans are label whores, mm-hmm. and they love celebrity, especially white celebrity. Yeah. Let's just be real. Um, so, of course, you know you had a list actor Gwyneth Paltrow on there. Um, they wanted a white a list actor on Korean soil. I see. Uh, in order to get the funding. Wow. And once I had gotten the show, I had run upstairs to tell Devin Hugh. Um, 
And he was like, you know, I'm the ambassador to Seoul. I'm like, how in the hell are what? you the ambassador? How is Jackman how the ambassador Jack- to Seoul, Korea? How does that Korea? make sense? I'm like, you're not even Korean. Everyone loves him, <laughs> including me. I right, know. He's just Listen, a good guy. I stand out. He's, He's a wonderful the man. Best He's the best guy. He was like, I'll be on your show. I was like, are you serious? He was like, yeah, totally. Oh, my God. You literally had like the joke of rent a white. Rent, you had, a, oh you had to Uber God. a white person Uber to get your project person. done. Lord, we had to fly. Well, like, uh. <laughs> well, do you know that that was not enough to have you on our show? I mean, he doesn't oh, they have the wanted time someone to above, fly. Above, to, the, above the title who was going to carry it to sell it in. I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but. That, that takes away from the whole authenticity. Yes. The premise of, of the show, too. The show. So, um, anyway, he was wonderful. He shot all the cooking. Well, well, quite a few. We shot that all in one day. All the, all the, the different episodes. Segments? Yep. Oh. That he's in, particularly. Um, we did that all in one day. So, so sweet and kind and generous of him. Um, but they still wanted a white celebrity on Korean soil. So, that's how we got Heather Graham. I see. Who didn't that's even how eat she moves meat. In. Or anything. She's like, I like salad. I really oh like salad. God. I'm like, I'm gonna die. We're, we're, we're doing we're doing pork today. What what year was this? This was uh, 2011. Okay. So how did what was Heather Graham working on at 20? Where, where did she? Nothing. How did that happen? Somebody, my producer was able to. I mean, Finagle. we had to hustle, but uh, he was able to get her um, through somebody that knew her. There you go. There she was. So. You, your producer, and Heather Graham truck on over to Korea. Now the whole crew, the whole crew, <laughs> the, whole right, the whole crew. crew. Yeah. <clears throat> we were there. For, we went into we we shot about um, four weeks the first time, and then ten days later on in the year. So that um, was a lot. That was major. I mean, I gained so much weight, I and agree. I was super. This is TMI. Share it with a group, please. I was completely constipated <laughs> because I'm eating all day, right? Yes. So I couldn't even take That's a laxative because I didn't know what kind of bathroom situation it was going to be on the road. Because you're in the country yes. in Asia. Right. Sometimes it's just like a thing in the hole and right. yeah. on the yes. ground. I ain't got time for that. So anyway, I remember my day off. That was all I did. <laughs> yes. In the hotel. I called my cousins. I'm like, you have to get me something. Yeah. Wow. So that was like the... Yeah. Anyway, did you did the publishing deal with the book? Did that happen during this process, shooting process, or did that happen after? Were you working on? We were in talks uh, during um, post production. Okay. Um, Yeah, so it was pretty much post production. Um, Rodale did that. uh, Did my book, Um, but they have a good relationship with my director Charlie because they did a Spain on the road again. And their books are so beautiful. Yeah, they are. Well, I fought for that cover because they had picked something else. Um, This noodle dish, which they were so enamored by. I'm like, this is the grayest looking. No. So I insisted and we reshot the cover. But if you, isn't it kimchi on the cover? No, it's a Korean um, sam. We call it the lettuce wrap with, you know, meat. It's very traditional. There's so much color. With a little sauce. Yeah, Yeah, there's like a spicy radish on there. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you go to Korea, you shoot this series, you come back, you're working on the book. You now have a franchise. <laughs> what was life like once it aired? Wow. Well, I couldn't go to the Korean sauna anymore in New Jersey <laughs> because, you know, in Korean saunas, it's a big part of the, the culture. It's right. a huge bathing yeah. culture. And in there, you know, you go in the locker room, you're naked from the time, you know, you're yeah. doing all your services. But then they have like a... 
a communal area where they give you pajamas and all of that stuff, and you can be in a unisex area. Um, yeah, I mean, with Koreans, it was a huge deal because it was the first time Korea has been um, captured in such a way, so beautifully, and in such a respectable way, and yes. not with such talking, reverence. Yeah, reverence. and and reverence. yeah, exactly. And it is beautifully shot. Yeah, I binged about four episodes. Oh, in the last nice. couple of days, oh, and cool. not only did it make me hungry, everybody yes. says that, but I, you know, I have been trying to get to Asia for a long time. I have a, I have a trip planned to Japan in October, but really? I'm trying to squeeze in a trip to Seoul as well. And I was just like, I need to spend more time in Korea. Well, let like, me I need know. To figure this I've out. got friends for you. Yeah, I, but it really just it confirmed that I had a I booked the right trip. Mm-hmm. Yes, but to see. The countryside and to get all this beautiful history and even like the, the meaning cinematic. of bugoji and like yeah 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 and, and and the different just the detail and you know these things were set up because of this this thing that you cook on was shaped as the same way as as the helmets of the warriors yeah, used to yes. which yeah. makes sense it was historical and it was beautiful and you could smell through the screen it was right. just so Absolutely. beautifully done with so much respect and reverence for the not only the the food but for the people yeah, and for the history for sure and you know that was a learning lesson for me as well because even though um i'd gone to korea multiple times to visit my family had seen all these things that we actually shot but i had no details my mother mm. speaks english but you know i'd be like well why you know, when you go to pray, why is it like this? And why do you have to, you know, and she wouldn't be able to answer these questions for me. What's Just the holiday what behind? Yeah. So, yes. you know, shooting that show really gave me, um, uh, it completed my circle because I always say this, when I found my birth mother and I started to speak Korean, I would feel like an invisible Korean. Because, mm. yes. you know, I would go to Koreatown, mm-hmm. I'd speak in Korean and people would respond in English. And I just, I was like, what? You know, what the That's hell? That's the little dig. Yeah, a little, right? Little, little microaggression. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. So, you know, when I went to Korea and I got all this knowledge shooting uh, the show, I realized it wasn't about anybody validating <clears throat> the fact that I'm Korean. Mm-hmm. I know I'm Korean. Yeah. I yes. know I'm Korean and I have even more uh, information about my history and my culture, which made me feel completely tied to it. And in interviews, I used to really get exasperated because people would ask me, what do you feel more? Do you feel more oh, Korean or more black? I said, I feel 100% both. Yeah. I really do. Yes. I mean, I don't know how you break up a feeling or knowledge of a culture right. in oneself. Exactly, right. Like, how do you split yourself exactly. up, right. you know, in a percentage? I said, I'm 100% both. Yeah. You know? And they don't know what to do with that. So what was happening at the Which spot? Fine. <laughs> you couldn't go to the oh. spa anymore because were you being recognized or well, people trying to all, shoot you naked? No, not trying to shoot me naked, but I don't want to have a conversation about my show with my tits hanging out. Right. <laughs> you know also what I mean? Like a place of relaxation. Oh God. Oh God. You know, you're looking yeah. at my butt and I just mm-hmm. hate it. I mean, I would hate it. Agreed. You don't want to know people when you're standing there naked. Yeah. You know? No. no. Right. Thanks. Back. Just scrub me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever seen those tables where they scrub you? Yeah. It's like a plastic... Uh, it's a vinyl covered table. You're sliding around on there, all soapy. I mean, you know, between my gynecologist and the scrub lady at, uh, I mean, they the both spa. had the same view. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Incredible. Yeah. So we talk about a lot about the sort of emotional labor of being 
an entrepreneur and starting your own thing from mm-hmm. scratch and like and really just being in it all the time mm-hmm. and, and and how that impacts your relationships and your life. Right. For you, you and Jean George are no longer married. Well, we are still married. You are you still we married. We are separated. You're yeah. separated. Okay. Yeah. Um, how did that affect your business and sort of your trajectory and what was going to be next for you? Well, um, so no, it didn't really affect because this has been in the last couple of years. Um, I think, you know, being married to a chef, especially a world renowned chef with multiple restaurants and many different countries. I mean, it's like a week or two of travel every month. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, it, it gets to the point where you kind of start leading separate lives you know, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I, I used to, for 10 years, I would deal with the baby all day. You know, I had help and all of that, but still, I'm with the baby all day. Yeah. And then he'd be getting out at 11, 30, 12. So I'd show up at the restaurant all dressed to the nines at 11, you know, to sit and have dinner with him and all his managers for an hour and a half. And then we go to bed. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's not much time to really kind of be involved. So when you're married to a chef, those are the kind of concessions you have to make. Or you work together, which I was not about to do because I've got a child to raise. I yeah. see. And, uh, and now it's interesting because we actually in our last um, episode talked about relationships and sort mm-hmm. of like what lack of or how they have to be managed when mm-hmm. you're someone who's driven. And here you have this uh, a completely extreme side of success that mm-hmm. you're married into. Mm-hmm. And did you find, like you already kind of expressed this, but did you find that there were times you felt that you were m- more married to the company and that the the lines get blurred between like the person who's running their brand and the person that you giggled with on that first date. I mean, is there, or is in, in that sense, did you find that the balance was fine? No, well, that balance was fine. I mean, you know, JG was always JG, you know, we'd get home and I'd be like, you need to take out the trash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's no fans here. It's not yeah. one central park West, your dad and yeah. my husband. Yeah, and and for both of you, you've had that balance of you know to drop work as soon as like you got home. Um, no, no. Okay. For him, it's still quite difficult because it's constantly on his mind. He's constantly getting emails. Constantly, there's always something mm-hmm. going on. But we did get this house up in the country um, eleven years ago. Okay, that was the first time in his whole life uh, he had ever taken off a Saturday and a Sunday. Oh, that's. Wow. And you know what? That should let that resonate to anyone listening. I to know this, that that's the reality of success. I'm telling you, he's <laughs> 60 this year. So I mean, for f- yeah, pretty much 50 years, incredible, or 40 years, you know, because he's working since the age of 16. And he is hands on. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so that's the one place all the family can congregate. Mm-hmm. You know, he can, he goes up there and he cooks on the weekends when he's there. Um, Sometimes I cook too. Uh, We still share the house and our families are very close. I'm very close with his family and his kids. And, um, you know, I mean, really nothing's changed except that I'm in a different place right now. You know what I mean? It's a true partnership still. Yeah, totally. You know? Teamed up. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So that said, I know you have some new things that you're working on. Yes. 
Um, so act two, round two. So you actually, you had a, in addition to Kimchi Chronicles and everything that came with that, you also had a restaurant in China. Yeah, in Shanghai. Oh, um, wow. They're doing renovations now, so it closed um, last month. But three years, um, it was called Chi playing off of kimchi and barbecue. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, kind of high-end upscale cream barbecue restaurant. Um, so the menu was, I did all the traditional stuff. He did all the kind of fusion-y type of dishes. Um, we won best, uh, best new restaurant, best Asian restaurant, best Korean uh, restaurant, and best new restaurant, um, Time Out Magazine, and... You know, we got some really great awards. So. What's it like to open a Korean restaurant in China? In, in China, yeah. Um, first of all, sourcing ingredients is kind of tough. You know, we have to deal with local organic farmers and things like that. Um, but we got it together. It was pretty cool. I mean, the hardest thing about that restaurant was that the Chinese don't... Chinese look at Korean food like we look at Chinese food. Cheap. Uh. It's cheap. And why would you pay... $80 a person to get the same thing I can get in China in Koreatown for 25 mm. Heard. But it's like I had to do interview after interview. You know, we're, we're getting all our meat coming from Australia. You know, it's the best, highest quality. We've got, we're using organic, you know, vegetables. We've got the most amazing um, soju in the whole world, the biggest selection that has ever been in a restaurant. Oh, wow. You know, the most amazing bartender, the staff, they cook for you while you're there. It's the whole I mean, experience. The experience, experience. The theater yeah. of a restaurant. Right. And the quality of the food. And the know? quality of food. Yeah. Well, it's almost like what happened. And Well, tell me, to me, it reminds me of when, especially here in the city in the last 20 years I've lived here, when people elevated the hamburger and right, American right. comfort food, this mac <laughs> and cheese. And then you would actually have it and you're like, this actually is incredible. Right, because they right. put Rhea incredible. in his mac and cheese. And it's also- <laughs> Wait a second, we got to talk about mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. No, please. Um, My mac and cheese is on the menu at Mercer Kitchen. Oh. Is it really? It was voted to one self. of the top five yes. uh, by Food and Wine Magazine. Yes. Yes. Creative Hustler that's listeners, we only bring you the best. Only the best. And that's a little bit of my soul food. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Note to self. So what's next for Marja? What's next for me? So- um, I have a line of Korean um, sauces, food products mm. uh, coming out. I partnered up with a um, Japanese food company. They've been in business like three generations. The reason that came all about was my business partner has 32 restaurants, hotels, and hotels plus this food line, a uh, huge food line in Japan. It's on the southwest tip of Japan, so it shares the Yellow Sea with Korea. Hmm. So it's like a two-hour ferry to Pusan. And he goes every month to buy light bulbs for his businesses because they're so expensive in Japan. Wow. Isn't that weird? Wow. So you got to save money. Entrepreneurs, you got to save that money. Got to save that money no matter where you Right? Like, you're not going to script on your product. But listen, these light bulbs, we'll get on the button, go get them. Hello. That makes sense. Yep. So he became obsessed with Korean food and he wanted to incorporate Korean flavors into his line. JG's partner in Japan, he has a restaurant in Tokyo with her, um, plus business over the years. I've known her forever. She said, I know somebody. And she just opened a restaurant in Shanghai. So he basically gave me a letter of intent, sight unseen, not tasting anything. He knew nothing about me or JG, but just trusted her word because, you know, in Japan, especially Asia, yeah. honor and, honor. and your word and respect is paramount. Um so he came uh, the very first time to meet me and signed the contract in Shanghai 
and try my food for the first time. <laughs> and uh, he and he obviously left happy. <laughs> he did, and I have a ten year deal. So you know. congratulations, that's, congratulations. that's, that's incredible. So, so basically, he showed up and was like confirmed exactly <laughs> yes. with Excellent. his whole family and yeah. Uh, yeah. So I have a line. Wow. We're going to start out with eight products. I have my own. Sesame oil, soy sauce, Ooh. fish sauce. So I'm competing with Kikoman. So let's that talk is about my the goal. state of soy sauce yes. in America. Because soy sauce uh, in America is it's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. That'll give you diabetes. I mean, it's what they serve. Kiko, I'm sorry, but Kikoman is like the dregs of after they produce the soy sauce. Like the, it's like the malt it, liquor. It, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the bottom of the barrel stuff. And it's mm-hmm. super salty. Such a good analogy, Aaron. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm... You're going to be getting the best brewed soy sauce from Japan um, in the same stores as you could get Kikoman. I mean, I want to sell it. Oh, wow. Food Emporium, Walmart. Instantly accessible. DeLuca. I mean, like You're democratizing quality. Yes. What's the line going to be called? Marge's Original. Of course. Marge's Original. Yes. Gotta have my name on yes. it. Yes. Are you gonna have your face like Uncle Ben and Mama on the Bible? No. Are you gonna, are you gonna <laughs> Paul Newman cartoon your face? No. <laughs> no. But what I am doing, I I actually went uh, three years, three years, three weeks ago to Japan and Korea. I went to finalize um, this one sauce that I was having an issue with. Uh, so I went to the factory. Um, I wanted it in this particular bottle because I love the shape. Yes. So we were at the factory, and they have some something they can put in there to make it more viscous, so it'll yeah pour better. Yeah, I was like, through the wow, machine. Oh, right. so cool! So anyway, got all that set up. I shot video, so I'm gonna have a QR code on the back of every label, and I have a recipe on every label as well. Oh wow! Um, so it will, <clears throat> for instance, I have a yuzu ponzu sauce. Um, I shot a little quick, uh, thirty second video how to assemble a dressing. So, you know, I'm taking like a yuzu ponzu sauce, which is typically known best for like a dipping sauce for, you know, dumplings or like, um, you know, the tempura mm-hmm. and trying to give people, uh, trying to give people um, an idea of how you can be creative. It doesn't need to stay in the box that it's in. Right. You know, I'm always, whenever I do cooking videos, I'm always telling people to to really try and be your own inner chef. Like, you have to cook to your taste. That's what chefs do. Right. Yes. You know, they taste, they taste, they taste. And then, you know, you're lucky if <laughs> you're a chef and they like it. But really, that's what cooking is all about. So to not be afraid and be experimental. And to trust your taste level. Right. And understand yes. the flavors that you're working with. Too. Right. And pay attention to the and ingredients I, that are going in. Yeah. And I love that it's going to be like a visceral experience for the consumer mm-hmm. because then it's also a different little media platform that they exactly. can, it's great. So I'm working on my website now. I'm going to do, I want to do like blog videos, webisodes of other more complex things. Um, and I love, you know, people ask me questions and yeah. responding. Like I love. It's building that sense of community. Yeah. I mean, one of the best compliments I got after the show um, and after my book came out was some old 70 something year old white man from Milwaukee. Um, Said he drove an hour and a half. He found an H Mart somewhere in the next state over. He no, he drove two and a half hours. So H Mart is the Asian food market. <clears throat> it's a popular chain. Yeah, and they have an online um, uh, uh, website as well where you can order online. Hmm. Um, but he drove two hours. His local two and a half hours on his wedding anniversary, his fiftieth wedding anniversary, hmm. with his wife to go shopping at H Mart because they wanted to cook Korean food. Wow! For wow. their anniversary weekend, and I was like. This is a guy that looks like he's been on a farm, out of touch, 
a red state, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. and he's so interested in this half black, half Korean woman's. You know, I was able to kind of bridge the gap and make it a little more accessible, accessible, and have people want to try things. So that's that's like that's so incredible. beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. food it is, is the gateway into any culture. It's true. The it's stories, the the history of the people, yeah. are in the flavors, and it's all fusion. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And it can it, it connects, and this is where I always get on this level. It connects the human experience. Totally, we're all connected in that. Totally, <laughs> absolutely. So through all of your entrepreneurial adventures, mm-hmm. if you could leave our listeners with one or two pearls of wisdom, what would they be? Hmm. And keep in mind too that they're creative entrepreneurs. So they're right. not just regular entrepreneurs. They are people who are like you, pouring their souls and their spirits into right. their, their art. But, and and but to speak to them too, like. With, I have a theater company and I feel like everything you've spoken about in this episode, which has been incredible, I 100% can relate to the things that I create. Definitely mm-hmm. So that's, that's actually what I've been found incredible about this interview is it's, it's so uh, relatable, your story. Mm. It's pretty incredible. Thank you. But also just sitting here with you, you just seem like someone who really leads with love mm-hmm. and empathy. Yeah. And that I always say like when you're tapping into something greater than yourself, yeah. the, the, whatever that little antenna of source is will tend to offer people success. Right. Right. Or, or, or garner success. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, it's so cliche, but really if you, if you work at your passion every day, you'll never work a, a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I learned is to know what I do not know. Yes. And to find the people that do know. Um, and also, you know, I so admire the Japanese work ethic. Um, you know, their philosophy is you could be doing the same job until you're 80 and you're still not an expert because you're always learning. And I find that to be so, so, so true. Whether it's food, design, anything, anything, anything. I mean, the minute you think that you know everything and that is, you know, that is the the bottom line. You reach a pinnacle. You haven't. You can have a rude awakening. I mean, life is about, you know, taking the changes and then making it new changes right. and adding upon that and taking some things out. I mean, it goes across the board, not just work and your passion, but relationships. Yes. Relationships also affect, you know, your work. Surround yourself with people that you look up to that can teach you something. You know what I mean? It doesn't even have to be in your field, but people that you respect that it, are going to give you good advice. Um, you know, I am very close with... Um, JG's business partner of 20-something, almost 30 years, Phil Suarez, he used to work in the entertainment industry, and now he's a restaurateur. Um, But I love and respect him so much, and he's definitely a sounding board for me, Mm -hmm. Um, even more so than my mom sometimes, because... My mother, my adopted mother is my manager, my momager. Mm. Um, but you know, she's that's like, a fine yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I need to really hear the truth, especially bouncing off these ideas in this realm that is kind of new to me, business-wise. Um, so I trust your gut. Uh, know what you don't know. Find the people that do. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, absolutely. And don't ever stop, and don't be discouraged, yeah. and allow change to happen. It's gonna happen. Um, don't fight it. Oh, and also, as long as you keep failing, even if you you feel like you're failing, you're never failing if you don't stop trying. Right. Yes. And I have, in these five years, six years since this show launched, I've had 
three business ventures that started and didn't quite work out. Mm. But I never yeah. let that be a, a notch off my belt. You know, I was like, I learned so much from that. And then I was prepared for my partner of 10 years, my Japanese partner. So Incredible. life has a way of kind of putting all the puzzle pieces together. So if people are interested. What's the best place to find you? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I guess for more of my cooking and Korean stuff, um, I'm. we have a Kimchi Chronicles website that I pretty much kind of run. Um, it's on Facebook. My website should be launching in a while. And that should be Marja's Originals? Uh, I think I'm just going to do MarjaVongerishton.com. But, um, yeah. Oh, and Instagram. You know, a little bit of my life and my family. IG. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sharing so much with us. Oh, thank you. And for the CHP fam, remember, don't get it perfect. Get it going. See you next week. Yes.